You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or a battery for your trail camera or a specialized battery for your rangefinder or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable this is the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by vortex optics happy monday everybody and welcome back to another episode of the nine finger chronicles podcast i'm your host dan johnson and today we are going to talk about hunting in the South. Now, today's guest, Mr. Parker McDonald, you might know him from the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast that plays here on the uh, Sportsman's Nation. And I personally have no experience hunting whitetails in the South. So instead of, you know, hy- hypothesizing about what it was like or what a guy should do, I called up a guy who pretty much hunts the South only, uh, except for t- uh, this year he's heading up to Missouri to uh, to do a hunt, but he hunts Alabama, he's hunted Georgia, he hunts Tennessee, he hunts Kentucky, he's hunted Texas, and uh, so he, he kind of has an idea of what it's like to hunt the Southeast, the Southern states, and in this episode we talk about the differences, we talk about strategy, we talk about what he likes about it, what he doesn't like about it, how he approaches hunting the South especially on public land which uh, he really focuses on so this is a a really awesome episode if you have ever been interested in hunting the south or what it's what the difference is between hunting the south versus hunting the midwest versus the northeast and and we we get into a good old-fashioned bs session about all of that stuff uh and you're going to have to listen to the rest of it to, to find out what else we talk about, but it's a really good conversation. But before we get into today's episode, we got to do a commercial, and today's commercial is our title title sponsor, Vortex Optics. Now, 
I'm getting ready to go on a South Dakota mule deer hunt in about 10 days, and uh, optics play such a huge role in a hunt like that. You got, you have to have a good uh, set of binoculars. Uh, I'm bringing a spotting scope with me that has to be crystal clear because I'm sitting a mile away roughly uh, from my target animals coming off one side of this valley and I'm sitting on the other side of the valley so in order for me to identify if it's a buck or if it's a doe or if it's a big buck or a medium buck or a little buck I have to know what I'm going after I have to be able to to see the details where the steer's going where he's bedded down and it needs to be clear and Vortex Optics offers that, right? They have a variety of spotting scopes. They have a variety of binoculars. They have range finders. They have rifle scopes. They are pretty much the top tier in the optics game uh, within the hunting industry. So first off, if you want to find out more about Vortex Optics and their whole lineup of optics, visit vortexoptics.com. And lastly, if you break it, if it was an accident or you smashed it or it got caught on fire or a bear ate it then pooped it out put put the parts in a box send it to vortex and their warranty covers it 100 percent. no questions asked if it's broke they fix it if they can't fix it they'll send you something brand new and uh that that's something that i could definitely get behind and on top of it all the people who work for this company are awesome they are participants in the activities they love to shoot guns therefore you can trust them when they talk about rifle scopes they love to hunt so you can trust them when they talk about you know what spotting scope to use or what binoculars to use so go visit vortexoptics.com check out their optics and that's the commercial that's the intro let's get into today's southern hunting podcast with parker mcdonald in three, two, one. All right, on the phone now, I have a Sportsman's Nation brother, Parker McDonald from the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Parker, what's up, man? Oh, man, just uh, kind of uh, getting a little bit of an R&R from a long trip in Kentucky last week. And yeah. I'm, I, needed to, uh, I needed to rest and take a little bit of a break. Okay. Okay. Uh, Cause it was pretty, it was pretty tough, man. It was a, it was a tough, hot, hot trip. So, all right, dude, I am going to just cut through all the fluff. Typically I bullshit into it, but I got to know you missed a giant in Kentucky. I want to hear, I want to hear the story. What happened? (laughs) What happened? Man. So we were, uh, I was hunting with some, some guys from Florida, uh, some, some of my good buddies and, uh, Man, we were we were just trying to figure out the place, and this is my third third year hunting this same public piece in uh, in Kentucky, and I've gone back and forth, man. It's like it's really weird. The first year I went, the deer were like all getting killed on soybeans. Like everybody that was on soybeans was seeing deer, killing deer, and I'm I'm over here trying to hunt them like I hunt Alabama, and like getting deep in the woods and taking my kayak and hitting funnels and trying to hunt bedding points and all this crap. And I wasn't seeing anything. Um, and so the next year, I, last year, I was like, okay, I'm going in here. I'm going to hunt like a Bubba. And I'm just going to get off a field edge 300 yards off the parking area like all these guys are doing. And I'm going to kill a buck. That's how I'm going to do it. 
And uh, so I did that, and I saw a lot more deer, and I, I killed a little buck. It wasn't anything anything huge, but I also got um, covered up in poison ivy. Ugh. And so uh, it was that was a pretty terrible trip. I got my butt beat pretty hard, but I didn't hunt nearly as hard as I normally do. Um, but the crazy thing was last year when we went on the same trip last year, guys were killing them in the woods off of, you know, in hardwood bottoms and things like that. So there was really no, like, there's no rhyme or reason that I can figure out of why these deer chose to, maybe they're just, it's a relatively new WMA and maybe they're just getting smarter. You know, once that pressure hits, they hit the woods. I don't, I don't really know, but it seemed to be kind of the same way this year. Nobody was really seeing a ton of deer, um, or getting a lot of shot opportunities on bucks in the bean fields like they were the first year that I was there. And so uh, so I, I started hunting more woods, and um, there's there's the, the the water access that I was using, which I decided to use. I, I killed the buck I killed last year. I walked in and, and shot it at a spot, you know, where I walked in. I didn't use a kayak. So I kind of had this thing where I really wanted to kill a deer using my kayak in Kentucky. It was it, it, there was no really real tactic behind it. I just, I like that feeling. It's a lot more fun to me to do it that way. And so uh, I was like, okay, that's how I'm going to do it. That's I'm, I'm going to go after a buck using my kayak. And so I got on this, like uh, this, well, let me, let me start out by saying last year, the, the biggest buck that I saw last year was basically running the edge of the water on a really steep bank um, basically between some CRP and, and bean fields, there's a really steep, really narrow, uh, drop off into the water, into the river. Okay. And so, um, the biggest buck that I saw last year, I'd already shot my buck and I was just hunting does. And I saw this buck run out of one of these really steep, narrow, basically pinch points. And I was like, man, I know that these bucks are betting on that stuff, especially later in the week, week once they've had some pressure. It's like I know they're betting overlooking that water, getting the thermals coming up out of the water with the wind going over their back. I know that's what they're doing. And and it doesn't take much to figure that out. You can walk it and you can find beds. You'll find sheds. You'll find, uh, I mean, just, I mean, I found two sheds, two big sheds in Kentucky now, and both of them were within 30 yards of the water. So I really kind of believe that these deer, a lot of these mature bucks are just basically using those little tiny narrow banks as kind of their, their home, you yeah. know, and obviously they'll go out into the fields to eat. But uh, other than that, I really think that they're using that. And so I did, I just decided one of the days I was like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm just going to sit up at the very top of that on the military crest. And just watch it. The wind was perfect. It was a wind coming out of the east, and it was going to start coming out of the east at about, uh, let's see, 8 o'clock, 8.30 that morning. And so my thought was, okay, they're going to go from the beans or the corn or whatever. Um, they're going to go from that and go into the CRP fields while the wind is kind of trying to decide which direction because it was going to be moving different directions for a couple of hours after daylight. And I was like, okay, and then what they're going to do is that when that wind starts coming directly out of the east, they're going to change their bed and they're going to bed to their full day bed. And, you know, that's just, that was just a, a an educated guess more than anything. Um, so I found the best spot, the narrowest spot that I could get into, which 
funneled them even tighter. And I just sat up there, man, and uh, I found a really, really, really worn down trail um, before daylight. Uh, and then I found a faint, a faint trail coming off of that worn down trail going the direction that I assumed to be the, the direction of an east wind bed. And uh, I never found that bed. You know, I just was like, I, I believe it's not a high odds sit but if they do what i think they're going to do there's a chance that a, a good buck could use this faint trail going to that bed and uh dude 9 30 i catch some movement coming through the brush and his thick up there up on top of that bank it was just thick nasty perfect for what you would imagine a mature buck to be in and i caught some movement off to my my left and uh just the way that it was moving dude like i knew I knew it was going to be a big buck. I was like, I know that's a big buck. My, I'm planning on hunting Kentucky during the rut this year, and so my standards were much higher than they would have been if I just had this week to hunt. Like, I've got a week of vacation that I'm taking the first, the second week of November to hunt Kentucky. And so my standards were pretty high, but just the way he was moving, I was like, oh, oh man, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make this one count. I'm going to have to start changing my plans for November because I'm about to. I'm about to see a good one, and sure enough, man, he came out of the brush and was like, it was one of those, I don't know, Dan, you live in Iowa, so you probably have more mature buck encounters than I do, um, but you know how when they're in that really thick stuff and you almost don't have time to get nervous? Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like, you just make the shot and you're done, and then the nerves start to hit like a freight train. Well, with this one, I I, I don't know, I just had just enough time to get nervous. Yeah. And, and so like when I see him there, I mean, I just like, you know, I'm shaking. It's like this, this Southern, you know, this Alabama boy don't have a lot of encounters with bucks like this. Yeah. And he was just moving through, man. He had a really tight, um, tight rack with tons of tines going everywhere. He was either, he was a typical 10 or a typical 12. I'm not sure, but there was just very like, just tons of times and his velvet, he was starting to shed his velvet, but it was like hanging off oh, of the, the bottom of his main beam. So it just looked like a monster. Gnarly. Just, yeah, he looked, it was, dude, and I had just enough time to get, to get shook on him. And, uh, but I, you know, I maintained my composure pretty well. I thought, um, and that deer walks that faint trail. And I'm sure if I would have just watched him and, and, uh, and not, you know, let him come any further, I probably would have seen him bed down within 30 yards of where he was at. Cause that's exactly how he was, how he was moving. Almost like he was looking for a bed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He would stop. He would stop every once in a while and he'd kind of look around. Um, of course he also, that was the direction I walked in from. So he could have been, you know, catching my scent, but he never acted alerted at all. He yeah. wasn't, he didn't know I was there. He was just kind of just moving through checking his surroundings and the way that just the way that he was walking made it look to me like he was about to just lay down somewhere for the rest of the day. And, um, and in the location that I was at, that was exactly what I was set up for. So I'm sure that that's what was going to happen. It was thick. It was on those points. It was off the faint trail. The wind was right. It was the right time of day for him to go and find that, that afternoon, late morning, afternoon bed. It was just perfect, man. And he walked in to 18 yards and uh, I had a small opening. Like I said, it's super thick. I had a small opening 
probably, I mean, about five, four to five feet. So it was definitely big enough to shoot through. Um, it wasn't like I was going to be having to like thread a, an arrow through anything that I thought of anyways. And um, he came into 18 yards right where I wanted him to. And I drew back and released the arrow. And at first, honestly, I, I, I was like, I might have hit him. Um, it made a loud crack. And I was like, I may, I may have been able to hit him. But just the way that he reacted made me think that I did not hit him. Um, he kind of ran off, ran back the way he came, um, stopped, and just kind of looked around like he didn't know what was going on, and then just walked away. Um, he never knew I was there. It was thick enough that he he had no idea I was there. It was just a uh, – anyways, long story short, I, uh, I ended up re-watching the footage. Um, I couldn't tell on my little tiny camera – um, screen what had actually happened. I couldn't see anything, but when I got back to the room, I went and looked for my arrow and couldn't find my arrow. So I was like, man, I mean, it may be stuck in him somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, at an 18 yard shot, that arrow should be stuck in the ground somewhere. It may be stuck in him, you know? And so I went and watched it and ended up slowing it down. And dude, the worst mistake I ever made was watching that footage right then because my heart just like it it's like I got the adrenaline rush again once I saw exactly how big this deer was. Um it it was it was just heartbreaking, man. And come to find out, I ended up there was a small little vine um about halfway between me and the deer that I could not that I did not see. Like I it, as far as I knew, I had a perfectly open shot and um you know half an inch one way or half an inch the other way and that deer would have probably been at the taxidermist right now uh but that it hit that vine square just like cut it in half and you you can watch my arrow just curve and basically end up like five foot behind his butt it like curves midair that vine did some serious damage to that arrow flight and uh and that's why I didn't find the arrow because it was 10 feet, 20 feet away from where I was looking. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that it sucks. was a complete miss, man. The biggest deer I've ever had the opportunity to kill. What for sure. Give the listeners an idea of how big he was. Are, are you guessing north of one fifty? Uh, I'm going to say he's around that. Um, and only because of how, how many, how many times he had and how long they looked big body video big body he's a big big corn-fed kentucky deer so um for for a southern guy looking at it you would look at him from the perspective of you know 125 130 maybe 150 pound buck um but he's definitely bigger than that yeah Uh, those deer are just bigger and so when you look at it like that from that perspective you'd be like oh he's probably you know maybe a 125 or 130. Um, but when you think about how big those deer's bodies actually are, you really start to, I, so I saw a a picture yesterday. I think it was last night on Facebook of a guy. He posted a picture of this buck and of a buck that he had killed. And before I read the caption, I was like, that's him. That guy killed the buck that I just, that I missed. Yeah. And, uh, cause it looked exactly like what I remember in my mind. 
exactly the same. The velvet was hanging off the exact same way, um, had the same like tight mainframe, uh, 10 or 12 point, um, tall tines, lots of mass. Uh, but come to find out that deer was shot in Wisconsin. So it, it wasn't him, but that was my, I've been sending that to people and saying like this, if you want an idea of what that deer looked like, he looked just like this. Gotcha. Um, and so I'm going to say, I'm going to say he was around the, the one, 145 to 150 mark, which for an Alabama guy, it's not every day we get that opportunity. You know, oh, we yeah. don't have just a bunch of those running around all over the place. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, you know, I thought about it every single day, just about every moment of every single day since then. <laughs> that was uh, that was a week ago tomorrow, so it was Wednesday of last week, and uh, I thought about it and watched the video that I have on my phone of it, the little clip that I saved in my phone, and I'm just like, man, I couldn't do anything different. Like, I just, I, you literally, like, it, when you watch the video you'll be able to see that you cannot really see the vine that I shot. Yeah, like man. it looks like it's not in the way, uh, but it ended up being right, right where it didn't need to be. And so there's not a lot I could have done differently, but man, it's just, it's one of those, it's one of those deals. I know, Dan, I know you missed, uh, or you, you didn't recover shipwreck whenever you shot that buck. Yep. And it's like, it's like that same, it's like a sinking feeling and there's probably not a day that goes by that you don't think about it, <laughs> you know, I, it's uh, just like a, I, I, the day that I saw that buck in 2007 for the first time, I thought about him every day until the day that I shot him. And then it was a handful of years after that, you know, and he was killed the next year in 2011. And I thought about that deer every single day for like two years after that and i'll tell you i mean it was like a handful of years ago I, I can't remember the exact year i think it was 2016 or 17 but i had the exact same scenario uh come uh happen to me in november and uh this this doe acting real spooky you know how how a doe gets and she'll look behind her mm -hmm. and she's like and i go dude that is a hot doe and she's looking behind her, looking behind her, and I hear a burp. And then I see this gigantic eight-pointer come up out of this brush, come down on the bank of this real small creek, and he's just basically following the exact same path that she is on. She comes by at 18 yards, no joke, 18 yards, and I'm just going, in my head, I'm like, this deer's dead. Like, he's already dead. He's walking dead deer right here. 18 yards, he's going to come by completely broad shot, uh, broadside, easy shot. I draw back, and he stops, anchor, release the arrow. And I, like the split second, I just envision myself holding his, picking up his antlers. Biggest, one of the, I'm going to say the second biggest eight-pointer I've ever seen. And he, and a vine or a, like a, a, the smallest end of a branch stick was sticking out and I didn't, I couldn't even see it. It was so small. And the next thing I know, I see my arrow just whip. Like it's just going 360 in the air. I see my fletchings. I'm like, what the hell? And it, the arrow just kind of fl fluttered off, you know, flew off. 
Yeah. And I was, I had the exact same moment. I was like, Oh my God, never saw that buck again after that. And, uh, so dude, I, I feel you. I've missed a couple, uh, big deer in my life and it, it could possibly be one of the worst feelings in life, especially if you are a hardcore bow hunter. Yeah, man. I mean, and the, the thing is for me is I've had a really tough three years in Kentucky, like, like incredibly tough three years in Kentucky. And, um, just, I mean, when you go on this hunt, you got to understand that it's, uh, it's type two fun. You know, you're not going to have a whole lot of fun in the moment until you kill a deer. Um, every part of that trip is pretty well miserable. There's ticks everywhere. Um, there's poison ivy on every tree that you try to get into. Um, and last year, last year, dude, I got, I thought I was going to have to go to the emergency room because I got so poison ivy so bad. Yeah. It was all in my eyes, all over my face. I could feel it in like, in my throat. Been there. Um, and so, you know, when I shot, I shot a little, like a little bitty scrub buck in Kentucky, literally because I was done, man. I was like, I'm whipped. It takes a lot to whip me. Like I put myself through a lot of torture on on when it comes to deer hunting, but this this trip last year it just it kicked my freaking tail. Yeah. And so I actually I, I had no intention of going back for the early season hunt um, until Greg Godfrey was like, "Hey man, you want to do a tethered hunt?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." Okay. Man. If you're gonna twist my arm. I guess. I guess so. I guess I'll do one. And, uh, um, but you know. The thing is, is that it's one of those trips that it gets you, like, it, it really helps you to appreciate the rest of it. When you start your season grinding like you have to, and it's not just because I use the kayak. Like, if you're going to walk in and walk a mile or two, just ask uh, uh, Justin Czar went on that hunt last year um, at the same place. And it just whips your tail, man. There's no other way. To look to, to to do it, I don't think I don't think anybody that goes out there has an easy time. Every hunter you see just looks like they're ready to die. Yeah, you know everybody's everybody's tired. But what it does for me is it makes it to where the rest of my season is pretty well easy. Um, like when you when you think about it compared to the Kentucky hunt, the early season Kentucky hunt, the rest of the season is kind of a cakewalk. Yeah, and um, and so. So, but anyways, I've, I've had a tough time on that trip and or on, on that trip over the past three years. Um, my very first day to hunt Kentucky um, three years ago, I missed a good eight point in full velvet at like like seven steps. He came right under my tree and it, it's kind of a long story, but basically he surprised me. I was drawn back on a doe um, that I was about to shoot and then he just walks out of the brush out of nowhere and caught me when I got it kind of startled me. And so I'd like jerked and moved over to, to him and he spooked and saw me and I ended up missing it, missing him um, because he well, actually I hit a, I hit a, I hit another uh, twig on that. But I don't think I would even hit him anyways because he was already he was already uh, charging to run. So, yeah, uh, but but had that happen and, you know, that hunt, I've thought about that just about every day since that trip. And then three years later to have a, oh, I mean, a substantially bigger whitetail walk out at 18 yards where you practice and practice and practice and you, you know, you prepare all year. You, I mean, I prepared my whole life for opportunities at bucks like that. And then, then to, 
have it not happen. <laughs> just yeah. It eats you. It eats you. I, I, I'm with you, man. I don't know that there is a worse. Like somebody could come and repo my truck, and <laughs> the, bank, the bank could take our house, and maybe it wouldn't feel. Quite I'll be as, all right. I'll, I'll get out of this. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, eh, you know, uh, but it's just something about those big bucks, man. Right. That it drives me. Like it, it's driving me right now for the rest of the season. Like it'll, it'll, it'll drive me to keep to keep going until I can, you know, try to erase that memory. Like I said, like I'm hunting Kentucky during the rut and I'm, I'm I'm sure I'll have some encounters with decent bucks on that trip. But, you know, unless it's bigger than that deer, I'm not saying I'm not going to shoot it, but I am saying I'm still going to be thinking about that deer unless I just shoot like a, the only, literally the only thing that could, erase that memory is if i shot a bigger buck in kentucky yeah not in another state in kentucky like (laughs) that's the only thing little redemption i need the redemption and you know my hope is that maybe maybe uh maybe god's trying to set me up for a really cool storyline that'd be neat uh but i I connect on that buck again yeah uh he'd have to travel a long ways to go where i'm going in the rut but oh i got you um but I mean, right now I feel like God's just wanted me to have something to think about for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm definitely not, uh, not forgetting about it anytime soon. That's for sure. I feel you. Well, you mentioned something there that I kind of want to transition into the, the talking about Southern hunting because, you know, a lot of the content out there minus, you know, what you're putting out. But there's a lot of content out there, especially mainstream content that all comes from the Midwest, right? The big buck capitals, Illinois, Iowa, um, even Ohio, Wisconsin, uh, Kansas, whatever, right? And I talk to a lot of guys from the South. They message me on Instagram, and they all they all say something similar. And in a roundabout way, they're saying, you don't know how good you have it up there. And the reason I bring that up is because that Kentucky hunt was brutal. And our buddy, Walter Lee, uh, t- or, uh, yeah, Walter, uh, what's his last name? I know. I should Walter, know. Yeah. It's Walter Lee. Yeah. Walter Lee. Yeah. Uh, Walter, he always, uh, he always talks about how hot it is down in Florida hunting in Georgia, even all the way up into November compared to, you know, here I am sitting in a 50, de- you know, it's 50 degrees in Iowa, in some of my hunts and it's just beautiful weather, right? Relax. There's no mosquitoes, all that stuff. So what is hunting like in the South? And I know you don't have a lot to compare it to because you haven't been hunting in the Midwest a lot, but what is, what is bow hunting like in the South that it may not be like in the Midwest? So I, I haven't hunted a lot of Midwest, like I said, Kentucky, I'll be hunting Missouri this year for the first time. That'll be my first, like, true, I guess that would be considered Midwest uh, hunt. Um, but I did I did grow up in West Texas, and so um, I do have that to compare it to. That was where I first started deer hunting and hunting tripods and big, huge box blinds with corn feeders and things like that, where typically you see a good amount of deer. Um, you know, I, I can think of, several times where I've seen, you know, close to 40 or 50 deer in a sit, like, like, especially during the rut, you just, you see a lot of deer out there. 
in Texas. And so I do have it to compare to that. Um, the biggest thing, I guess, where where I live in in Alabama and we're in really most of the state of Alabama when it comes to um, public land, especially, you know, some private land could be a little bit different, but we don't have a lot of the agriculture that um, guys in the Midwest can depend on. Um, there's a, like I said, there's a couple of places that'll have it, um, but the majority of the public land in the South, um, with the exception of maybe Tennessee, is going to be, uh, you know, hardwoods, a lot of steeper terrain, swamps, um, not necessarily swamps like you would find in like Wisconsin or something, but like big cypress swamps, you know, and uh, Florida is the same way. You know, they have, it's flat, swampy um, with uh, like gallberry brush and, and things like that. Um, that's that's really the biggest differences that I have found between even Kentucky and Alabama is there's not really anything that you can say this is going to be a consistent food source um, other than, you know, you have like your natural things like acorns and persimmons and um, like green briar. You have that kind of stuff, but that stuff is, it's so spread out. Like you can't, you can't, I, you can't find a, a field edge, a bean, a bean field edge or a corn field that's just got a wore out trail to it. You know, that's just not something that I find that, that we have a whole lot of. Um, the other thing is going to be the weather. I mean, the weather is typically pretty brutal, you know, um, up until, I don't know, October, late October, we start getting some pretty nice weather. Um, November is, is the same way, but everything can change in a day. Like we can get a, a, a warm front come through in the middle of you know, December and it's going to be 85 degrees. Like it's just, nothing is, nothing's really set in stone, you know? Yeah. Um, but, th but then the next day you could have uh freezing rain, you know, and you know, 20 degrees or something like that. Yeah. Um, so the, the variables are really pretty heavy in the South. Um, and I give it, you know, to guys like Walter Lee, like Florida is, the hardest state to hunt. I've hunted it now two years in a row. And, uh, and that's the top of my goals list is to shoot a legal buck on public land in, in, uh, in Florida. But those guys, man, I, I say it a lot, but the guys in Florida who are consistently killing bucks, especially on public land, I don't care how big they are. Um, they're among some of the best deer hunters in the country. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I truly think the best deer hunter in the country probably lives in Florida and nobody knows his name. Um, just because it's just, it's such a hard state to hunt um, as compared to places like in, in the Midwest, you know, and I say all of that to say, I would not trade where I live for a thing. I love it. I love hunting Alabama. That is my, when it comes to my priorities during the season, um, part of the reason I've never hunted the Midwest is because I don't really want to that bad. I don't want to go to a place where everybody kills a big buck. I want to go to a place where not a whole lot of people kill a big buck. And if you kill a big buck, like you've done something awesome, 
You know, does that make sense? I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to downplay anybody else's accomplishments in the Midwest. I just think, I think we need to, I think hunters need to appreciate and, and learn and, and be okay with where they're at. Yeah. Like I see so many people all the time. Um, you know, when, when somebody like, uh, uh, you know, the hunting public or, or some big name guys who hunt primarily in the Midwest, when they kill a big deer, I see Southern guys get on there and just like freaking be douchebags. And they're like, well, you don't know what it's like. Come and do that in, in the South. You don't know what it's like, blah, 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 blah. I, must be nice to be able to chase booners every year, you know, and they say crap like that. And I'm just like, dude, you have an advantage. You live here. Just go out and learn it, figure out how to do it. Stop yeah. complaining on Facebook all day. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like I, I love, I used to, not be that way and i used to fall into that camp that of people who are like man must be nice you know that must be nice crowd and i've just kind of i've tried to change my mindset to like man i'm gonna appreciate where i live and i'm gonna figure it out i've got i've got every opportunity to figure it out that's what i'm gonna do yeah and uh and so that's what i've been trying to do you know for the past couple of years that's why you know i love i love hunting alabama i love that it's brutal i love the I, I don't like it. You know, it's not like in the moment that I'm just like, oh, I freaking love this 90 degree weather, <laughs> but it definitely, it definitely makes you feel like you, when, whenever everything happens, even that, even that buck that I missed, I feel like I accomplished something right in that, right. you know, I had the encounter. Nobody else, nobody else had the encounter. I had the encounter and, um, you know, and so I, I don't love the mosquitoes. I don't love the poison ivy and I don't love, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we don't just have big bucks running around everywhere, but I love the fact that I get the opportunity that somebody li who lives in Missouri may not get. And that's to be able to really like, really go out and pursue. And like, I'm thankful that when I make something happen on a mature buck, when I'm able to have an encounter or even kill a mature buck, man, my, phew, the the feeling of that living in this state is unreal. It feel, is feel a little ten feet tall. Yeah, dude, it is so that that payoff is just insane compared to you know even that buck in Kentucky. There were some big bucks that were killed in Kentucky while I was there. Um, like there's if you give somebody time, like they they'll be able to kill a good buck in Kentucky because they're there. They're not necessarily on every corner in Alabama and. Georgia and Mississippi and Louisiana and Florida. So when you do make it happen, dude, that, that accomplishment, the feeling of that accomplishment is just unreal. It is so cool. I yeah. love it. Yeah. So the first thing that kind of pops into my head of what, you, what you said in that, uh, in that, in those comments was like the temperature. Right. And yep. so in Iowa, right? We, we got this 60 degree weather. Oh, cold fronts coming in. It's going to get cold. It's going to get down to 40 or 30 or, or, you know, a cold front could be from 40 to 20 or these, these big swings where it's actually cold. But for me, I lived in Alabama for about a year, a little bit over a year. And they were, you know, if it, if, if it got down to 60 degrees, 70 degrees during the summer of cold front come through or even in the fall that's kind of cold down there and they would you know oh man wearing a jacket today or whatever <laughs> but 
what <laughs> what what's your experience is a cold front a cold front on any level or does it take extreme cold and when i mean extreme i mean extreme for your area uh to get deer on their feet and to get them moving or temperature I, I know you guys had a lot of weather come through and probably right now have weather with all these hurricanes that that are coming through what is a what is a standard cold front for you look like yeah so honestly this time of year a, a cool front is going to be like you know a high of 80 or something like that yeah um which is a nice day you know i'm that's that's cool um, actually I did the Tennessee velvet hunt a couple weeks ago and, uh, my buddy Adam Cruz, dude, it was like tornado warnings and it was terrible. Like I've never been so scared that I was going to die in a tree as I was <laughs> on, on the first day of that, of that velvet hunt. It was just like hurricane Laura was coming through and dude, I was in a little pine tree and I was just, I mean, waving in the wind, <laughs> that day um but he ended up killing a freaking stud of a buck adam did in full velvet um i'm i'm talking about just a giant buck like one of the bigger bucks i've ever put my hands on personally and he killed it at one o'clock in the afternoon um in august because that rain stopped for a brief second and those deer started getting on their feet um, I, I've always really liked rain and storms that, that come through, especially when you're hunting places like that. So the places that we were hunting were kind of ag, ag country. We, there wasn't any on the public that we were hunting, but there was some close by. And whenever that rain would stop, those deer would hit that field, those fields, they'd get on their feet, they'd start feeding, especially when it rains all night. If it rains all night, that next morning can be the best morning you've ever had in the woods no matter what the temperature is because the deer have to eat and so so i know that doesn't really answer your question but like in the summertime this time of year you're looking at about 80 degrees now when we when we get into the winter time and a cold front pushes through um i mean i've, I've had some 17 you know 15 degree days um they're very few and far between um but those days typically don't produce deer um when it's like shockingly cold from what our norm is. Um, usually the fronts, I see the best movement like two to three days before the front comes through and two to three days after the front comes through. Um, those, when the front, whether it be a, a warm front or a cold front, that like um, sudden change in weather, I've always, I've always, what I have seen personally uh, as far as deer movement and what I have been told as well has been that it really kind of, it really kind of decreases the movement. It, it, they're like, it's almost like they don't know what to do. It shocks them. It, it shocks them. Yeah. And yeah. so they, they kind of, they kind of just don't, they don't go about their normal business. They're trying to figure out, okay, what's the next move? What, how do we, how do we live now? How do we survive during this? And so two to three days before and two to three, three days after is usually like the best time to be in the woods now don't get me wrong if you everybody always says oh man cold front's coming through i better be in the tree that day go sit in the tree and you might kill a deer like i've i have killed deer just like that the the big giant you know super cold days typically don't produce a whole lot of deer movement for me 
Okay. Um, but you know, like I said, every time every time you're in the woods, you have a better opportunity than you did staying at home. So yeah. Um, you know, I definitely think if you have the chance to go, then just go. You never know. Right. My, my opinion on that could change this season. You know, it, it just that's that's been my experiences of it. Okay. So let's kind of break down the the terrain because just like the Midwest. It can go from really flat to hilly, uh, not necessarily any mountainous like you could get in certain parts of Tennessee and Kentucky, but, um, you know, river bottoms to, you know, high, higher cliffs and, and things like this along the Mississippi River. But talk to us a little bit about the terrain differences in some of the places that you've hunted um, in Alabama, maybe even Tennessee and Kentucky, if you want to uh, call that the south. But have you hunted Georgia before? Yeah. Yeah. I used to live in Georgia and, um, and that was, uh, I killed my biggest buck ever in Georgia actually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely, I've hunted Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, uh, Kentucky, Texas. Uh, am I missing any Mississippi? I've never hunted Mississippi or Louisiana. Okay. Um, I, I guess that's, I guess that's it. Okay. Talk about the terrain differences there, right? Because when I think when I think of the South, I think pine trees forever, flat, no terrain, and and um, maybe a river running through, right? Because I where I lived in Alabama is actually really close to where you live now, and I from from my experiences was there was some rolling hills up and down in there, but for the most part, it was it was pretty. The, t- the terrain was mild. Yeah, and, and that's it, – it's definitely – so technically where where I'm at in North Alabama is like the foothills of the Appalachian Mountain Range. Okay. Um, and so – and where you lived at as well. Um, but like where you lived, you were, you were really on that like uh, – is it the Tennessee River, I guess? Yeah. Um, can't remember i think it's the tennessee river yeah that runs through there and so you you've got a lot of um you know you get around huntsville decatur and those areas and it's it is flatter um just because it's it's basically a river bottom that runs through there and so it can be it can be very flat um but then you go out you know uh and i'm not going to name any names but you you hit some other parts like um right above huntsville there's a big wma uh and or kind of above into the east of Huntsville, um, right on the Tennessee line, there's a WMA that is freaking mountainous, man. I mean, it is it's steep, but there's another WMA right across the road from that that's flatland, and uh, it's because of that that river. It's the same river that runs through right there, and um, so you have you have a, a nice um, variation of terrain depending on what you like to hunt, maybe what you're used to hunting. Me personally. Um, the area that I hunt and where I've kind of learned a lot of my, I guess, woodsmanship skill at has been more, more ridges, um, lots of terrain features, steeper, uh, bluffs, um, higher elevation. That's just kind of been for me where I've learned to, um, kind of, I guess, predict deer movement or just deer hunt. Um, and you know, once I, once I started hunting public land is where that really kind of started i've always hunted my whole life and so i had 
a base of knowledge, but when I started hunting public land, I started really learning how deer use different terrain features and different um, vegetation features and things like that, and then putting those all together. So that, for me, is my favorite way to hunt. Now, I go to Kentucky, and where I hunt in Kentucky, in western Kentucky, it's just, it's flat, man. And even the stuff that's got terrain is still not like, you know, it, it may be kind of rolling terrain, but it's not, it's not very high. The eleva- It's not high elevation or anything like that. Um, for the most part, it's pretty flat land with some, you know, mild ridges, you know, nothing, the deer still use it. I mean, they still use it all the same way, but it's just, it's not hard to, to walk and hike and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Georgia, where I hunted in Georgia, I would say is, uh, is pretty similar to, to that. You know, it, it wasn't, um, I was in like, uh, I was on a, a hunting club in Georgia. It was kind of close to Columbus and, uh, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't like crazy steep or anything like that. You'd have some, some decent little, little, uh, creek bottoms and hardwood bottoms and stuff like that. But like what you said, it was mostly, it was mostly, mostly flat pines and that was pretty much it. Um, and then Florida is just flat. <laughs> it's just, it's just freaking flat, man. The, the little bit of elevation that you get is like a three foot ridge, you know, it's just nothing nothing crazy um and that stuff is harder for me to hunt like i i have not really figured it out quite as well as as i've figured out more um more uh steep areas and with lots of lots of terrain lots of ridges and stuff in tennessee it can be whatever you want it to be man like if you want to go to east tennessee you can get to some of the dang steepest mountainous stuff that you can find uh, then you can go to West Tennessee and it's just flat, you know, flat farmland. Um, and that, that's kind of been all my experiences, man, other than West Texas, which is flat with mesquite bushes and like cedar thickets and stuff like that. Um, that was pretty much, that's pretty much my, my experiences. My favorite thing to hunt though is definitely what I have here, which is, you know, those big, big woods. That's how, that's the best yeah. way to describe it. It's just big woods. Right. So, Let's say I tell you, Parker, I'm coming down to Alabama or Georgia or Florida, and I know we just covered there's so many different terrains. What would you tell a Midwesterner who is coming to the South to hunt? What kind of advice would you give them, tips, tricks, things to be prepared for uh, if you're going to come down and hunt uh, the quote-unquote South? So, like, if you're in, like, uh, like for you, you're in Iowa – if I were, if, if you were to ask me what state should I hunt that you feel like I would have the best success in, in the South, I would definitely say Tennessee, because I think it's going to be a little more similar to what you have more farmland, um, especially, you know, central middle to West Tennessee, you're going to have flatter land, farmland, um, river bottoms and things like that, that you can, uh, that you can apply some of the knowledge that you already have from hunting the Midwest. And I think it's going to produce maybe a little better for you than somewhere like, um, where I live in North Alabama. Um, the biggest thing that I would tell somebody, this is the, the number one thing that I, you know, that I try to do is, um, pay attention to hard transition lines. That is my biggest, 
That's my biggest thing. If you if you can find a hard transition line and find some type of funnel or pinch point or just a terrain feature that comes out of that. Um, we did a podcast with a guy named Matt Powell from Tennessee, and uh, it's called X Marks the Spot. And basically, when you can find those those areas on a on a map that have basically X's of of transitions, the more transition lines you can find coming into one spot. Think about an X. If you have an image, I guess for people listening, is make an X with your hands or with your fingers. If you can find a a point on the map that has three or four different vegetation types coming to one point, that's been the best thing that I've ever found. Every every just about every mature buck that I have ever killed in the South has come off of a spot that had two two or more um, transition hard transition lines right there. Um, and then finding the terrain features that that lead out of those, if you can find, it's definitely going to narrow down what you have on a map, um, the spots that you have on the map. But it gives you less less to cover. Like if I if I find in a thousand acre um, piece of public and I find two spots that have those X mark type transition lines with terrain coming out of it, yeah, like. That's, I mean, it narrows down where I'm going, for sure, 100%. I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on those, those areas. I've been looking at a spot in Tennessee that I'm gonna hunt this year, and it's a huge WMA, and it's big woods for sure. Um, and there's like, out of the whole WMA, I found like four spots, you know, that I think are gonna be killer. And from what I know from my past experiences, the common denominators that I've had in those all are represented in these points that I put on the map. And so um, that's the biggest thing, man. Find find transition lines, find terrain with transition lines, and I think you have a money spot. Give me an example, uh, as detailed as you can, of a hard tra- transition. Because I here's my example of a hard transition in Iowa. We have, let's say, a top of a ridge that has got a lot of sunlight. It's really thick. It's really nasty up in there. And then as the, it slopes off, the timber tries to open up. Right. And we have a, you know, we have a, a, a line right there or something like a CRP field and a, a timbered finger coming up into it that ultimately leads to uh, uh, agriculture or something, you know, something like that or a, mm-hmm. a, a honeysuckle bushes all over the place or a, a property that's been logged. And then three years later, it grows up into some thick stuff where that meets the open, the, the open timber. Give me an example of a Southern, uh, hard transition, like what you talked about. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to describe as best as I can, one of my spots, um, that I have here in Alabama. And uh, I don't think anybody's going to find it by what I say. So, uh, <laughs> You'd be surprised, man. There's some real guys out there who oh. are really good at that. Oh, dude, I got an email the other day about it, and this guy was basically saying, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was funny, he was like, hey, man, uh, I've been scouting this so-and-so area a lot, and as I was scouting it, I came across your YouTube channel. I was like, okay, first off, no, you watched my YouTube <laughs> channel, then you went, and, and, and he basically admitted, he was like, uh, I've been watching your YouTube like a detective, and uh, I figured out some of the areas, and basically he was saying, stop stop 
stop giving advice and stop showing maps on your YouTube channel because there's going to be more people coming on us on us like me. <laughs> you know, like there's going to be more people like me that come along and we're going to have trouble. So anyway, whatever. Um, but he is right. I need to be, I guess, be a little more tight lipped and I try to do my best not to, uh, not to be too descriptive, but it doesn't help obviously. So, uh, so here's a, here's a little spot. So there's a, a big, a, a wide ridge that is basically right on the water and it's super wide. Um, if I, if I go to my, uh, line distance, tool on onyx from one side to the other it's 600 yards so it's it's very wide and when you get to the top it's almost like it's almost like a flat is almost what it seems like but you're actually at the top of a ridge so at the top of this ridge there's this bedding area and um it is it's just it's not a clear cut but it's almost like a clear cut it's got really thick really tall grass Lots of uh, lots of briars. This time of the year, I tried to go into it the other day, and it's almost impenetrable. It almost looks like a tornado came through it, and it's just it's just really thick. And that basically covers the whole top of the ridge. Um, on the edge of that 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 bedding cover, there is a um, a, a thin strip of hardwoods. Uh, let me let me start off by saying this to I guess go backwards. There's a big giant drainage that goes all the way up into that bedding cover. Um, and I consider that to be like an exit like we have on the interstate. You have exits off the interstate. Um, I think deer use those big drainages like that as entry and exit from the, uh, the, the bedding where they bed. So you have that big, big thing, that big drainage coming up up the ridge and into that bedding area on the edge of that on one side of that drainage you have uh, a strip of hardwoods that basically if they're really thick hardwoods that basically run along the edge of the ridge and um and between the ridge and the ridge top and the or, or i guess the edge of the ridge and the, the bedding area well, eventually, when you get to this big drainage, there's a spot in there where those hardwoods meet a pine thicket, right? And so okay. right there you have three different types of vegetation where they all meet. You've got this thick bedding cover, you've got these hardwoods, and you've got this pine thicket that all meet together right here next to this drainage. So what I'm going to do... When I go into this area, the spot that I'm going to hunt, especially my first hunt in, is going to be on that ditch where the pines and the hardwoods and that thick bedding cover meet. Okay. That That is going to be the spot where I, I almost will call it. If there are deer in this area, I'm almost going to call it every single time that's where they're going to be at. Now, every once in a while, you'll see them deer deer, and they do what they want to do sometimes. But um, most of the time, that is exactly what happens. Um, and then you can you can go, you know, you start to see that. And then I, I look around the rest of this ridge. I can find a couple other spots that do something similar. It may not be the exact same thing, but I can find a spot that has a drainage 
where that bedding cover meets some like uh, mountain laurel and then it meets some hardwoods. That's another three-way transition with terrain coming out of it. Um, and I know this because I've hunted this area pretty hard. Like I know this area really well. I didn't know all of this until I went and put boots on the ground. But a lot of times when you have something as different as pines and hardwoods and then this like a clear cut, uh, let's just say, let's just call it a clear cut that's a top, up top just to give people a visual, visual. A, a cut over or clear cut hardwoods and pines. You can see a definite difference in those three things on a map. And that's what, that's what jumps out to me, man. It always jumps out to me. Gotcha. And, uh, and honestly, so the first time I ever went in and hunted that spot, I, uh, I actually shot at a, at a decent buck and, uh, I didn't recover him. Um, that was his past season. Uh, I think I called in a dog and everything. I just, I couldn't find him. the dog tracked it all the way to the water. And the last spot of blood we found was right on the edge of the water. So I don't know if the deer just went in the water and floated away or what, but, um, and that's exactly where the deer came out at exactly where he came out at right on the edge of the pines, hardwoods and the clear cut. Gotcha. And it was just every spot that I have marked that I have had mature buck encounters with almost always it's in those spots like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the next thing I kind of want to talk to you about is, and this is a, a kind of a hard pivot, but we're getting to the end of the episode here. And so I'm getting ready to hunt in Michigan this year. And there's this stereotype that Michigan hunting sucks, right? It's like, oh man, you're hunting Michigan, sucks in Michigan, whatever. There's a little bit of that that in the South too. Um, I've heard, I've interviewed people from Georgia. I've interviewed people from Alabama, um, Tennessee. I've interviewed people from Kentucky, not as much. I'm not going to throw Kentucky into the, the how, you know, the South sucks, but like the Carolinas and Florida, um, I'll, I would probably even leave Mississippi out of it. Um, I, everybody that I've talked to out of Mississippi says, Hey dude, Mississippi's an awesome state to deer hunt in whatever call call that call that what you want um what what would you say about that is this does the south suck or is it uh awesome or is it you know kind of just lay it out for us to close her down it absolutely does not suck i mean like i'm i'm sitting here and i'm like dude i'm not like the best hunter in the world i just have a lot of drive i love it I, I love the, I love the grind and I will, I'll sit here and I will, I mean, my wife thinks it's absolutely ridiculous how many times, how much, like most, most wives has, have to worry about their husbands, like going out on them and, uh, <laughs> you know, watching porn and doing that kind of stuff, like finding porn on their phone. And my wife, I mean, I'm just going to sit and look at maps all day. Like yeah. that's what I'm doing. Yeah. That's all I'm doing. I think if you, if you love it and you put the amount of work into it that um, that is necessary, you're going to have encounters like you're in and you have to you have to absorb things like you can't just go and expect to see a deer on every single sit because that's not going to happen. Um, I, I'm hunting areas that have really good deer numbers just because I'm kayaking in and I'm you know, I'm, I'm working hard for it. Um, but the reality is, is I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends are deer hunters. They love deer hunting. 
but they are not going to be out on the water in freezing rain in December. You know, our rut's in December, and where I where I hunt, my rut's in December, and um, they're just not going to do it. I have virtually there's there's just not a lot of pressure in a lot of these areas, um, and it's not because people don't know about them. People definitely know about these areas. I, I mean, I have very close friends that are I would consider to be hardcore deer hunters, and they're just they do it once and they're like, oh, that was awesome, and then they never do it again because it's just you wake up every morning at two o'clock and you're like, I don't want to go. I do not feel like getting on a boat in the water in the freezing weather. <laughs> it just that just doesn't. It's not not what sounds fun to me right now, and. And I get that. It's not fun every single time, but the payoff can be huge. So to answer your question, I think absolutely not. The South does not suck. Gotcha. Um, I I feel like, you know, I feel like I could be confident that um, I could get on deer and be able to find deer in just about any place that you put me in in the South and not because I'm just a, you know, a freaking awesome deer hunter i'm i'm really not but i'm not afraid to you know put a little bit of work into it and uh and and try to figure a place out and you know i definitely i I have struggles you know when i when it gets to be that late december and i have another buck tag in my pocket like every single morning gets harder and harder and harder and harder but man i found out that if you'll just go and do it and put yourself in the situation, the right situation, you don't have to use water access, you know, going in deep and scouting areas and, and making sure that you're, you know, doing, doing due diligence to go out and, and find areas where deer are at. I'll tell you another thing that has helped me. And I think a lot of guys mess up here is that they think that they have to be set up right before the sun goes up, before the sun comes up, you know, they have to be, in their spot. And so they'll end up burning a day that they could have been on deer. They'll burn a day because they just go up and set up somewhere, you know, because they, they couldn't find anywhere better. And I just think, you know, what I do, if I'm going into an area I've never been before, I'm either going to go into a spot where I know, like what I just mentioned, the, the kind of the X thing where I feel like if there's deer in this area, they're going to be right here. I'll either go find those type of areas but if I don't have that, like in Kentucky, I'm going to walk and I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to walk until I find the sign that I want to set up on. And I had a day last week in Kentucky where I just never found the sign that I wanted to set up on. So I didn't even hunt. I just scouted the rest of the morning Yeah. to try to set myself up for a better, I, I think, I think guys think that to be hunting, they have to be in a tree and you just don't like, if you're not in a spot where deer are going to be at, then you just wasted a day. Yeah. Um, you know, go out and if, if you're going to burn a day and not see a deer anyways, you might as well go do that and do something productive, you know, like absolutely go find a spot where deer are at. It doesn't matter if it's daylight or not. So that's just, you know, I think, I think a lot of guys mess up in that way. They, they say public land in Alabama sucks because they haven't put in the time to go and do it. And, uh, and so anybody, I pretty well disregard anybody who says that. When I see, you know, like I said, on the hunting public page, uh, I see people that are like, oh, hunting in Alabama sucks or blah, 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 or hunting in Florida sucks or any anything. Hunting in Michigan, when I see people say hunting in Michigan sucks, I'm just like, bro, like, 
No. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> no, prob- probably it doesn't suck. Um, but, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that, though, to be honest with you. Like, it gives – you know, they say, like, uh, what is it, like, 10% of people – 10% of hunters kill 90% of the deer or something like that? Yeah, 80-20 um, rule probably. Yeah, 80-20. Um, 20% of the hunters kill 80% of the deer. And I promise you that that, that 20%, maybe like two or 3% of those people are actually like, you know, the, the freaking awesome killer deer hunters. The rest of that percentage is probably just guys who put in the time. Yeah. You know, makes a they, lot of sense. they, they put in a lot of effort and they prioritize. And I also understand that everybody can't can't do that. Everybody's not going to do that. They don't have the time to do that. Um, and that's fine too. Like I, I'm definitely not saying people need to, uh, need to lose their family over a, a deer. Um, but if you have time to put into it and prioritize and, you know, I, I, I literally pretty well quit bass fishing. Like I'll go and fish a couple tournaments every summer, but I quit pretty much bass fishing because I want most of my time to go to deer hunting. So, um, that was just a sacrifice that I made and it made my wife a lot happier because I'm with her a whole lot more during the summertime Amen. now. And, uh, so I think it's all about your priority priorities and, um, putting, putting in that amount of time. Yeah. I feel you, man. Well, I tell you what, Parker, hopefully you gain a little redemption, uh, throughout the rest of the season and connect on, uh, some good deer throughout your journeys across the, uh, uh, the South and, now you're going to the Midwest this year, so good luck in Missouri. But good luck overall, man. Thanks for hopping on the episode today, and uh, keep me posted. Oh, and by the way, go ahead and uh, tell everybody where they can find your podcast and where they can find your YouTube channel that uh, holds the video of the big buck that you missed. Yeah, so that, that video is going to drop on Saturday. It'll be in two different places. It'll be on the Southern Ground um, Southern ground hunting YouTube channel, and it will be on the tethered nation YouTube channel. So you can find it on, uh, either one of those. And I would definitely appreciate it if people would subscribe to that. Hopefully, um, hopefully they'll get a pretty good idea of what hunting in the South is like by watching some of those videos. And then also, uh, the Southern ground hunting podcast, which is on the sportsman's nation podcast network, only the, uh, the greatest podcast network that exists. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, we, we, we talked to, um, a, a ton of just really, really m- a lot smarter deer hunters than I am on that podcast. And so, uh, you know, if what I have found, honestly, Dan, is that a lot of my listeners come from States like Michigan. Um, there are a lot of people who listen and watch from Michigan. Um, and I think if you can find, uh, if you can listen, I, like I said, I think some of the guys in Florida are the best deer hunters in the United States. And if you'll listen to some of those guys, I think you can put that into play in the Midwest in, you know, some of these States that have higher deer numbers. I think it'll set you apart even more for sure. Yeah. It's the principles that you can, that can translate across state lines or, or regions. So Parker, again, thank you much. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Hey, if you guys haven't had the opportunity yet to check out Parker's podcast, Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, do it. It's full of awesome information, 
about hunting the South. Awesome information uh, from other hunters who hunt the South. You know, he also has guests from all over, really. But uh, it, it really is a Southern-focused podcast that if you live down South, uh, it, it's definitely a must-listen. Huge shout-out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. We have the Average Conservationist, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Vortex Optics, Wasp Broadheads, and Ozonics. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, please do it. If you have not subscribed to the Sportsman's Nation RSS feed, please do that. And, uh, man, that's really all I got to say. Hopefully everybody has a great week. Man, October 1st is knocking on my back door, and I'm going to let it in. I'm going to let it in pretty soon, and uh, I'm getting jacked for the South Dakota trip. I'm getting jacked for Iowa Whitetails. I'm getting jacked for Michigan. Good luck to all of you this fall. Please be safe, and we'll talk to you next time.